Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest episode of the Core 4 Podcast. I'm your boy, Xavier, and I'm here with my co-hosts, David Buckler and Matthew Gill. Today is Tuesday, February 7th, two days before the trade deadline, and a lot of things have started to heat up in the NBA and with the Grizzlies. (laughs) Well, the Grizzlies have not been too hot as of late. Of course, they now have lost eight of their last nine games. Um, losing the game Sunday against the Raptors, blowing another lead in the fourth quarter. And um, a lot of people are questioning, and there's a lot of uh, craziness about the Grizzlies' Twitter right now. How are you feeling so far about this right now, Matt? I'm worried, man. This has been a really, really bad run. As good as the winning streak felt, um, this feels just as bad, if that makes any sense. I mean, I have some real concerns about what the offense is doing, especially in the clutch moments. I, I can't wait to hear what you have on that more later. Um, the outside noise has gotten now to where it's actually at a serious um, point. We joked a little bit about it when it was Shannon Sharp, you know, and that was all in good fun. But there's just too much noise around this team now. The Dylan Brooks ejection, whatever happened with John the Pacers is super weird. There's too much non-basketball going on around this team who's already struggling to win basketball games and not against, like, tough opponents. And It's not like they've been playing Denver and Golden State and Boston and Milwaukee and Philly back-to-back-to-back-to-back over this, um, you know, nine games. It's been pretty tough. So I got some real concerns. I can't wait to get into it on the pod tonight. Yeah, you talk about those late-game executions. That's going to be one of our segments heading to tonight's show. But, yeah, Dave, the trade deadline is two days away. You feel that the Grizzlies are going to be one of those teams that's going to make a call to see if we can get anybody new pickups? It's going to be very, very interesting across the league because there's a lot of teams talking right now. We'll see how many of them actually make a move. And I was thinking about this, Xavier, because I don't want the Grizzlies just to make a trade to make a trade. But I think the GM and the organization kind of owes it to the players and owes it to the fans that if there's a move out there that can help us, I think they have to look at that. And, and, and we always hear about, well, you know, the Grizzlies are ahead of schedule and it's not our window and all that. I don't know. I mean, do they discount the tickets? I mean, are they giving people half price tickets because this isn't our window? I mean, you know, at some point, you know, the kids say, well, we're number two seed in the West. What does that mean? It means let's go for a championship. The West is wide open and the NBA does not stay static. There are some of these teams around the league that are going to continue to improve as well. And so by the time we think we're quote unquote in our window, I don't know. Have you seen Oklahoma City's roster getting better? There's other teams making moves. Wembyama's going to be in the league. Uh, you know, some of these teams aren't going anywhere. Boston, Milwaukee, you know, Denver. So I think if you have a chance in any sport to win a championship, you should go for it. We are in a very unique spot with, with draft capital, expiring contracts. And I think, uh, Xavier, players out there that could help this year – so we'll, we'll see how serious the team is about winning. But I, I want to go back to what Matt said. I think that it's very concerning the last couple of weeks. If it was just a basketball issue with a couple of losses that got away here and there, that's one thing. And then all teams go through, especially during a long season, they go through periods of time where you're not as good. But there's some other stuff going on with this team that I think there's some cracks in the foundation. And maybe later we can talk. I mean, we added five rookies to this team. 
and Danny Green since last year. We lost a little bit of veteran leadership and some experience. And I, I think that's where we're seeing some of the problems now where the leaders of this team are still so young themselves. Yeah. I, I, yeah. We see the news that's constantly coming out almost each week now, some day breaking news around the Grizzlies. And um, we'll talk more deep about trade rumors and if the Grizzlies are going to make a trade. But as we was talking about earlier, we're going to talk about the Grizzlies struggles as a late in the X's and O's segment. So, yeah, the Grizzlies have lost eight of their last nine games, and it's showing a certain pattern. And it's showing a certain pattern when they lose those games, and it's their late-game execution. Matt, what do you think is the reason behind Memphis cannot close close games as a late? It's the stagnant nature of the offense, in my opinion. It was something I brought up really early in the season. There's just too much standing around waiting for Ja to make something happen for you. And I think – you know, we're going to talk a lot about trades and stuff like that, but I think that they really need somebody else who can say, hey, this action hasn't worked the last five times down the floor. Why are we running it again? And why is Desmond Bain not getting open looks at three um, or even contested ones? Because those are still good shots for a shooter as good as he is. There has to be somebody that looks around and says, hey, this is not working for us in the clutch. And I think a lot of it falls on John Morant, but I think even more of it falls on Taylor Jenkins, man. Like, he has yep. to be the one who says, hey, guys, this isn't working. We got to – he's got to be able to either put Tyus on the floor to direct traffic and, and get Ja off the ball a little bit more and, and show a little bit more multiplicity in the offense and have him and, and Bain and Ja all out there at the same time. And I know injuries are also a part of it as well. Like, that's been a story during this losing couple of games and, uh, you know, over these last nine games as well is the health factor. But – there's a lot of stuff that's wrong with it, but in my opinion, like it's just people too much standing around. I want to see more off-ball cuts, a lot more movement. Desmond Bain, Bain can't be the only one who's in constant motion. Uh, you know, we need other guys to be putting that pressure on the defense, hitting backdoor cuts, um, and moving around on the perimeter as well, trying to take the ball and some of that pressure off John, in my opinion. And one, one other thing I'll add, too, this is a thing we've talked about all year, and Dave, I'll, I'll kind of set you up for it, but the the – free throw problems are also part of it. These, these guys are also – they know that it is a problem in the offense, and I think that that also affects the way they play. They don't want to get up on the free throw line and try to ice games that way, and that can also affect their shot um, decision-making and, and their shot selection towards the end of games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Xavier, I mean, you talk about why. I think it's because the end of games is very similar to what it's going to look like in the playoffs. That's what playoff basketball looks like. It's all about execution, the little things and the details. And let's be honest, Memphis is not great with the details. And, and you know, for example, watch Golden State play. Their offense is always flowing, always moving. They, they really are clever in how they get Steph Curry shots and how they move the ball all the time, all five guys. We don't do that. And it, our offense is a predictable. If you stop Ja from like bulldozing to the rim, the rest of it's kind of, you know, paint by numbers kind of easy. To, to guard, I think. Um, we talked a lot on this pod about, I think there's a lack of athleticism on this team. I mean, I was watching the Mavericks uh, last night, and even Jaden Hardy had 29 and was flying up and down the court. You know, on the other night, I mean, how about Cam Thomas for the Nets? Right, back-to-back 40-point, Cam Thomas? Back-to-back 40-point games. Who won the Grizzlies is showing us that kind of, like, outstanding athleticism other than John Morant 
and and you know to a degree Bain and Jaron and Jaron with the defensive end but I think we're kind of a middle of the road athletic team compared to some of these other teams yeah uh we do look at our bench and you see a lot of these guys they're capable of scoring, but they have to be set up from other people by other players, such as Ty Jones or John Morant. But I want to mention, go back to like what you had was saying, Matt, about Taylor Jenkins. I've been told it's an old saying from coaching standpoint. If a team loses between one to eight, one to eight points, then you most likely got out coached. The team mostly got out coached. If the players, if you, if your team loses, 10 to double-digit points, then the players didn't show up. I'm starting to question about Taylor Jenkins' coaching strategies down those stretches because it's been eight games, eight of the last nine games we've taken L's. It's been a repeated pattern of those late-game executions. That last play he drew up for Jaron for that last shot Sunday night for the Raptors, it didn't make any sense. You didn't have Danny Green out there, and he made two threes, two big threes. And as well, Bang didn't shoot a three at all that second half. So that actually falls onto the coaching execution right there than the players executing right there. And I want to make mention of this. Taylor Jenkins is from the Coach Budenholzer tree. I don't think a lot of people remember. That 2021 season, Budenholzer was really on that hot seat. That Him winning the championship saved his job. And if you know anything about Coach Budenholzer, he really does not make adjustments. He's lucky to have Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm not going to say he's lucky to have Giannis Antetokounmpo because he had a great coaching career in Atlanta. He's a great regular season coach, but he could be outcoached at the end of the day. Are we seeing that from Taylor Jenkins now, uh, Matt? Do you feel that? It's a great point you bring up. A lot of people don't remember that is that Budenholzer would not have been back had they not won that title. Um, so it's really good that you mentioned that. I think coming off of this stretch right now, and I think you have to take the off-court stuff into account as well, if they don't make it at least to the Western Conference Finals, and even if they get bounced in the Western Conference Finals, I think the front office is going to look at that and say, hey, Taylor Jenkins is also a pretty young guy in comparison to other NBA coaches. Maybe that's where we get this leadership and this more veteran kind of deal where we can lead these young guys and kind of coach them up a little bit better. And that's really the difference maker. I love coach Jenkins and and clearly he had, he has great respect from the players. The players enjoy pl- playing for him. They're always um, hyping and uh, hyping him up. They're always uh, talking to him up for coach of the year, whenever it comes up as well, but something's not working. Something may have to change in this off season. And I think that that maybe goes back to what we were talking about with the trade deadline as well. They may just play this out and just see what this roster with this coaching staff looks like and how far it can go in the postseason. And if it doesn't work out for them uh, and they don't like what they see, the end result could be that this team goes under a major change going into next season. Yeah, it's a lot of people forget. We look at those, um, the Lakers teams that won in the 2000s. That was really the same team from that 96 through 98 team, but they changed the coaching staff. They brought in Phil Jackson and got rid of, uh, I believe it was Adele Harris. And then as well, you want, if you want some something recent, a look at the Warriors. Uh, Mark Jackson was the coach in that 2013 season, 2013-2014 season. And 
he had a phenomenal season. They made it to the second round, but they went up different path and, and got Steve Curry and the rest is history. Dave, do you feel that um that it's a lot of pressure right now on Taylor Jenkins to turn this ship around? I just wish we were in those conversations, right, between Taylor Jenkins and the front office. Because, you know, everyone on Twitter, every game we win, it's fantastic. We're the best team in the West. You know, we have the defensive player of the year. You know, every game we lose, it's like, settle down. It's not our window. You know, it's it's this vacillation. Every game is like an extreme response from everybody. The, I, and I, I come back again. When you get a superstar, your timeline changes. And... Now that we have a superstar, every, we, don't, we don't have three, four years to now just groom the team around him. And this is a little bit why I thought the Kyrie trade was so interesting this week. It's Dallas saying to Luca, basically, we're going to try to get you. This might not work out with Kyrie, but we're going to try to make moves to improve, to give you a running mate and, and, and then maximize your chance to win a championship here in Dallas. I, and I think, you know, you, if you, the NBA superstar and the NFL quarterback are the two hardest things to find in professional sports. And with John Morant to say that we have all these years with him left, it's, he, he's just, you never know. You don't know from injury standpoint, he might get tired of, you know, of uh, not making it to the finals. Cause he feels like the guy's playing with Mark good enough. And the NBA coach doesn't have a long shelf life unless you're Greg Popovich, right? So if it's Jenkins, might be the scapegoat. But I, I, I want to even go a level above that. We talk about Zach Kleiman, like, you know, in Kleiman we trust and all this. You mentioned this before, Xavier. He doesn't get credit for the job pick because any of us would have made that pick, right? Yeah. And, and he didn't draft Jaron Jackson Jr. You could point to Desmond Bain and I would say Santi Aldama as two of his finest moments. And, you know, people like Brandon Clark, but Brandon Clark is not averaging 25 a game. I mean, he's a nice player, but, but uh, you know, again, I look around some of these players around the league that were drafted around the time that we picked some of our guys. Kleinman's not infallible. And I, I'm not sure if he stands pat, is he putting the best product on the court, which I think as a fan is my right to, I want the best product on the court right now. I understand like the Indianapolis Colts, and the NFL are in a massive rebuild. I, you know, I understand in certain sports, but the Grizzlies did go to the second round last year. They are sitting second in the West right now. And there's not a super team in the league. Why not us with the right moves? Why not? Yeah. And you talk about moves. Uh, like like everybody's keep trying to, to to guess if the Grizzlies are going to make these moves. All right, as we head forward to our next segment, we talk about the trade deadline that is in two days, and more teams will become more frantic to make major moves. One major move that happened two days ago was Kyrie Irving being traded to the Dallas Mavericks, and I look at this trade, I feel like they didn't give up that much. Um, that the Mavs had to give up much. They traded Spencer Dinwiddie, two first-round picks, and a second-round pick for Kyrie Irving. Okay, Dave, after a big move like this, do you see the Grizzlies finally making a move within the next two days? We're going to get into that. Well, this was really something, right? Because Kyrie said, I want to be traded, and it's like within like 48 hours, they had the deal in place. I sort of liked it for both teams, honestly. I thought that the, the Mavs, Got a player that, if, you know, if he's right, uh, could, could really be be a, a, a great piece for them. I, I don't know, though. It's, it's kind of like 
you know, the girl, you know, I put it this way, Xavier, when people tell you over and over again who they are, after a while, believe them. And, and he's really hurt several franchises in the past with his behavior, very selfish behavior, I felt like. And here he had a good Brooklyn team. I thought they were going down. In fact, we had them almost in the college playoff rankings here because the Nets looked like they were playing very good, very good basketball. So I was kind of surprised at the timing of his request. But um, for, for me, it was worth the risk uh, for Dallas. And they didn't give up all that much. But I sort of like what Brooklyn got, too. I think they got two professionals to add to that that team that has some talent. We mentioned Gam Tim Thomas earlier, and, and Durant's health is, is certainly vital. Um, let me, but the OG uh, trade rumors for Memphis are so interesting. I said last week, I think he's the best version of what Zaire could ever be. And he's only 25 on a good contract. I, I would make the move happen if I was Memphis. It, it, the problem is there aren't, maybe like New Orleans could even offer more than we can uh, trade for, for him but I just think he'd be a seamless fit for us a couple first round picks we don't need more young draft picks we need we need uh guys ready to win and and he, he's I think he's great I, I think he'd be a nice fit although not an all-star I think he'd be a real good fit to this team it's funny that you mentioned that you know a couple of draft picks a lot of people feel that he's not worth all those picks and I look at this Kyrie Irving trade they only gave two first round picks for Kyrie Irving and we look at the scale of this well, I think it was one. Game. It was one plus uh, – uh, it was Finney one Smith. first round in two seconds, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Finney Smith as well. Yeah, one first round in two seconds. If we look at the this past summer, the Timberwolves gave up five first-round draft picks for Rudy Gobert. Last I checked, I know Kyrie is a controversial player, but Kyrie Irving is a lot better player than Rudy Gobert. <laughs> so. I know he's on expired contract as well. Matt, that makes me ask, want to ask you, do you feel like that the trade that the NBA is finally bringing down, like the scale of, of trades, is it finally going back to normal? And as well, do you think Memphis, if we do make a trade for OG and Novi, those three first round picks, is that too much of overkill? Basically seeing that a superstar was traded for one first round pick. I think the Kyrie trade is an outlier in that respect because it is an expiring contract and he is a controversial guy. They have no idea whether this is going to be a six-month rental or a four-year deal at the end of this um, to keep Kyrie along. This this trade is very interesting to me, though, um, because obviously it is in the Grizzlies' division. If he does stick around long-term, he could be a perfect running mate for Luka uh, we saw what Jalen Brunson was able to do, and Kyrie Irving is absolutely a better player than Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie. And people talking about the defensive uh, aspect that they're just going to give up 125 points now. I disagree. Kyrie Irving is a very solid defender uh, when he wants to be, when he wants to lock in. And I, I definitely think he's better than Jalen Brunson and, and probably better than Spencer Dinwiddie defensively as well. So I don't see that aspect of it. I think it's a great move for Dallas. Um, I'm interested to look at it. Uh, whether we get more uh, clarity on whether it's going to be a long-term deal or not, I'll be interested because it does Im impact the long-term future of the Grizzlies um, within the division. Dave, something that you brought up a bunch. I mean, this is a great division, you know, one through three with New Orleans, Dallas, and Memphis. But then the, the bottom two teams, they have as, they have the best shot right now to let, land Victor Wimbe and Yama. Um, and then this division really gets into a, a, a real uh, tooth and nail fight for the next couple of years. Plus, you got to factor in all of New Orleans assets and draft capital. They've had struggled without Zion the last little bit. So I think that this really makes this division really tough on the Grizzlies uh, from the, for the long term. 
Uh, and then, then in the short term, when we look at OG and OB for the Grizzlies uh, and what maybe that draft package had, what what it will do uh, if it affects the value of, a, of an OG trade. I'm just kind of out on OG now. I go back to what I just said in the last segment, that he's not the kind of guy that they need. They need an adult. After this Brooklyn thing blew up, I would be doing everything I can to get Kevin Durant if I'm the Grizzlies. He's an adult who knows how to win close games, who can give you buckets in clutch moments, who has been to the playoffs several times. I know OG Ananobi has a ring. He got carried there by several other players. He's had good playoff moments, but he is not. He does not have the playoff resume of the rest of the guys that were on that Toronto team. And he certainly doesn't have the playoff resume of a guy like Kevin Durant. I think OG Ananobi at this point is a half measure. If you're going to go ahead and move all three of those picks, why not make it five? Why not make it six? Whatever the asking price is, plus whatever young players they want, go get Kevin Durant. That's who you need. You need an adult that's going to be able to get these guys in line, show you how to win and just be a pro and and block out all the rest of this noise. I mean, Kevin Durant likes to mix it up as much as anybody, trash talking and going on social media, but at least he wins and he shows up every night and competes hard, man. Like, that's the guy you need to go after. I, I I don't really think that OG Ananobi is the full measure to make this thing a, a championship roster. I don't think he's the missing piece for us or anybody that acquires him. He's a great player. He's a fine player, but he's another young kid that doesn't really need to be added to a roster full of young guys and needs some veteran leadership, in yeah. my opinion, in Memphis. Yeah, yeah and I, I agree with you, Matt. I, I feel that now we see the scale of the Kyrie trade and that the, the Brooklyn Nets has broke breaking it up. Like, I feel that the Grizzlies should just play this season out, see how far this takes you. And if Kevin Durant becomes available this summer, why not make that move? Uh, you trade those three picks for OG now. You don't have a, a lot more picks. I think, what is it? You only can trade up to, like, six future picks, correct? I believe so. Well, it's about the years, too, right? Like, every yeah. other year you can't trade back-to-back, yeah. Right, but yeah. having having Golden State's pick also gives you that extra flexibility, and they have tons of second-round picks. They have the capital. The, the question is, does Desmond Bain have to be in that deal to go back to Brooklyn? And that's something you're going to have to weigh if that's what it comes down to, but I think it's worth it, especially if you're talking about pushing your chips in and trying to win a title this season. So th- th- that's interesting because – there, and it goes back to Kyrie Irving. There's only a few guys in this league that, you know, fourth quarter are like just magic with the ball, right? <laughs> it's like you, 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 if, if Dallas comes out of a timeout in a big game six with Luka and Kyrie, that's a real problem for the other team. They're, they're pretty clutch guys. And Durant is one. I mean, I love Desmond Bain, but he's not in the universe of Kevin Durant. And he probably never will be. He's a really, really nice player. Borderline all-star. Love him. But I wouldn't like not make the move because of Desmond Bain. Uh, and Durant is, just, is, is a difference maker. I, it's an interesting point you make them Matt, because it's like, do you take the big, big swing, put the package together? If you have to include Bain and you throw in Zaire and Brandon Clark and four number ones, they're, Kevin Durant's a top 15 player in the history of the league. If he's healthy, he guarantees you some credibility and, and, and some success in the playoffs. He really does with, with the John Morant and who they could put around him. He would be a perfect fit. I would think in Memphis uh, because he is one of the few guys who can get a bucket late in the game. There's just aren't many of them in the league. Uh, and maybe you're, you're talking me out of the OG thing a little bit too. I mean, I, I like him, but it does put handcuff us maybe, right? Like if we give up all those picks, then we don't have much left to do if somebody else like Durant becomes available in the summer. That's a fair, that's a fair point. 
I want to throw in this. A lot of people feel that DeMar DeRozan might be shifted by the deadline. Would you guys be opposed if the Grizzlies try to make a deal for DeRozan? That's a guy that's a tough bucket getter, and he can make his create his own shot. I know he's not a great three-point shooter, and his team struggles with the three-point shot. But he is a shot creator, and he's uh, he's played his share of, of playoff games. I know he hasn't had that much – he has had success in making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But sadly, in Toronto, when LeBron was there, it was LeBron. So, so it's a different story. But would you, would you guys want the Grizzlies, the package for DeMar DeRozan? I think, Dave, you talked about him numerous times. Well, let me say this before you go, Matt, real quick. It's why I sort of liked what Dallas did. Because if you're in the middle of the pack and you're not going to win the title, you either, either you know, ship the assets out and get better. You don't want to be in the middle in the NBA. You, you know, that's why I was always on Utah's case at the beginning of the year. Where are they now? Like 10th in the West. Like, what do these wins do for them other than guarantee they're not going to get Wemba Yamba? So if, if you're the Bulls, what are you playing for at this point? What are the Raptors playing for at this point? They're really, really average teams. And at least Dallas said, okay, we're not just going to play this season out and get knocked out in the first round and Luca's going to be unhappy. Let's take a chance. Let's take a chance. And I, I think DeRozan would be a great fit on the team. Yeah, I mean, I think that he is in the camp closer to OG in terms of that kind of move. When I talk about the, the Durant deal, that is a push all your chips in. For the right package, if it was something similar to OG Ananobi, where it's one young guy and whatever picks they ask for, I'm fine with that. I think he's a fine addition to the team. Um, I wonder the other thing that that is that is you know up for debate if they do make a move for a wing is 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 Dylan Brooks in that deal? Is he okay coming off the bench? Um, and do teams even want him anymore? I wonder how much the Cleveland toss out you know scrap whatever on a nationally televised game affected his draft cap or excuse me trade value. Um, and I wonder if he sticks around on this team, if they acquire another scoring wing like DeRozan or Durant or even OG, uh, or if teams are kind of off him as well. But I think DeRozan's fine as long as it's as, as long as it's a similar package to the OG deal. I'm fine with it. But yeah, that's not something I would give up one of the core guys for, for sure. Okay, now rolling into our next segment, we have the All Star last week. NBA announced their all-star reserves, so we know who's every all-star this year. And guess what? We got two Grizzly players that will be participating in Utah for the all-star game that Sunday, and that's John Morant and Jaron Jackson. And Jaron Jackson being selected, it caused a lot of controversy. <laughs> a lot of people felt like that he did not deserve to be an all-star this year. So, Matt, who do, do you feel that Jaron's stats and – him being a favor of a depoy, like did that put him as a huge candidate of being an all-star or he totally did deserve it? I think he deserved it. I think that just bottom line, the precedent that has been set with Rudy Gobert being an all-star the last couple of years, that if you're the best defensive player in the league, you deserve a spot in the all-star game. If we're not going to do that and we're just going to give out, uh, you know, the defensive player of the year at the end of the year, then it's just another throwaway award and whatever. We have to reward defense at some point. Um, and he's not just a defensive player. When he is aggressive, he can be a really skilled offensive player as well. And the thing I go back to when we kind of touched on it before any of the reserves have been announced was that this is the second best team in the West. 
you got to have at least two all-stars. I understand that injuries are a part of it, but if you look at guys like Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, other guys that have made the roster, they've been injured too. And honestly, Jaron Jackson, after missing the first little bit of the season, has been relatively healthy. He's missed a little, a couple games the last little bit, but he deserves it as much as anybody, in my opinion. And I think that winning and defense has to be rewarded, and that's why he deserved a spot. Now, that doesn't mean that some other guys also didn't deserve spots. Anthony Edwards has been incredible and should have been in a reserve as well. And De'Aaron Fox is the number one reason that the Sacramento Kings have turned it around, and they are the number three team in the West as well. So, yes, there's some spots that you could argue should have got in, and one of those guys are going to get in for Steph now anyway, so it takes care of itself. But, yeah, Jaron Jackson deserves to be in there as much as – Anthony Edwards or De'Aaron Fox, and, and and especially Edwards, in my opinion, because Edwards started the year so slow, that's kind of a wash for me in terms of how Jaron missed a couple games to start the year, whatever, you know, I think he deserves to be there. Yeah, and also, um, I and Zion probably won't play, right? So maybe Edwards gets in. Fair. Yeah. And then we got to get rid of this position stuff, too. Like, we got to have two guards, two forwards, and a center. They should just take the best players in the conference, I feel, whatever position they play. I was going to ask you, Dave. Do you feel that the commissioners should expand the all-star rosters to 15 each to help help uh, these guys who won't be snubbed? Because a lot of these guys like Aaron Fox and Anthony Edwards, they are deserving all-stars. But it's, let's just be honest, the NBA talent pool is just so huge now. And we're going to have snubs each year, and fans are going to complain about this. So do you think that the NBA should just go ahead and extend the roster to 15 guys? It's a good question. I actually do not think they should. I like sort of the arguments of who's, you know, I still think it's, a, it's quite an honor to be an all-star. And, and I am not a fan of expanding the rosters. However, I'm also not a fan of just putting in Damian Lillard, let's say, because we always put Damian Lillard in. Now, this year, he's been great. So he, I think he certainly earned it. But th there are times I feel like the all-star voting and the all-star stuff, it's, well, we know who's going to go in. We just put the same guys in. And I thought the thing with Jaron Jackson was kind of refreshing and kind of someone new. Uh, Shai uh, Gilgis-Alexander, someone new. It was kind of cool that he's going to the All-Star game. Uh, so, you know, I felt bad for Fox, but I also felt great for Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, I think Ed Edwards is going to make 10 All-Star games before he's done. It was great for Jaron this year. And, and they'll probably play anyway with the injuries. But I I'm not a big fan of just expanding it and expanding it. I still think it's quite an honor, and it makes for fun debate. Yeah, you, you say, uh, like, guys like Damian Lillard can make it each year. I don't see how Paul George made the all-star team, in yeah. all honesty. If you look at who's the better player, wing player, I think Kawhi should have been more deserving than Paul George. Paul George hasn't played – well, both of them really ain't been playing that much this year. But they haven't done anything. I mean, Paul George numbers, stats are pretty average. He's had better seasons. And you have plenty of people in the West that plays a lot better. But um, one guy I'm really happy that made the team was Tyrese Halliburton. He showed up Wiley Zerbiak. Uh, I'm pretty sure Wiley Zerbiak feels very miserable now because he felt like he was not going to be an all-star. Well, he proved them wrong. But yeah, you're 100% uh, right, though, that the talent pool is a lot bigger. You go back to, like, the 80s, you know, and uh, there weren't all these amount of of kids in the league that deserve to be all-stars based on their performance. And you're right. Absolutely. There's just a ton of great players. Yeah. And, and even so, I feel like a lot of people are feeling some type of way that, that the Nuggets didn't have another all-star on the team with Aaron Gordon. I mean, they deserve, I, they're the number one seed. 
in the West. And uh, a lot of people feel like if you have that number one seed, you at least have two all-stars that come from that that number one seed. You can have it over there in Boston with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But I see you with Denver, though. Like, you don't have nobody that has, like, the stardom. Now, Jamal Murray is playing, back playing to Jamal Murray ball. But Aaron Gordon does a lot defensively. But I feel like his play is not going to give – is not going to surpass a lot of these other guys playing in, in the West right now. If I could add, I mean, you, you mentioned the that they're the number one seed, so they should have two All-Stars. And I, I just made that, that point for Memphis. But when you look at Denver, man, like it does not matter who's on the court with Jokic. Like they have some – like they have like four or five different combinations where they have some of the best five-man lineups. And the only thing that matters is, is, is that Jokic is on the floor. So I think maybe that dings them a little bit, whereas Jaron – single-handedly turned the Grizzlies into the best defensive team for a little bit, whereas Jokic just makes everybody put up all-star numbers in Denver. I think that that's a little bit of the difference, but I agree with you that that should be the case, um, that they should have more than one guy, and and obviously Aaron Gordon's had a a good year, and I kind of disagree with both of you guys. I love the legacy spots. I love that the guys who have always been good get to keep coming back. I don't care if they have a little bit of a fall-off. It's a good thing to have you know, guys like Paul George there every single year. And who cares? He's going to play five minutes and he's going to put up two threes and, and, and it's fine. And I also think that we should expand the roster. Again, who cares? Let everybody play two minutes, get two dunks off, and let's all just, you know, go home and get home <laughs> safe, everybody healthy. Who cares? Like I, I and, and the thing is, even if you expand it to 15, then the 16th guy is always going to be mad that he didn't make it. You know what I mean? Like there's always room for debate. There's definitely more room for more all-stars. And the other thing that we've seen the last two years, you said shout-out Tyree Halliburton. Um, I'm glad Laurie Markinen made it too, and well-deserved. Mm-hmm. And and it's very cool when the host team has a, a guy who makes it. We saw it with Cleveland last year too. They, they definitely wanted to have Cleveland represented when they were hosting it. Um, so I, I, that's obviously not something that's like a rule or anything, but it's something cool that's happened the last little bit. If you expand the rosters, you make it easier too. Maybe you have one designated spot where you say the home team's best player is in the all-star game every year. I think it's fine. Have as many well, guys thing, as you want. I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Major League Baseball used to have it where every team had to have one all-star. Right, yes. And, Which and is kind of ridiculous. Right. I don't well, know. Yeah. I, I like it. Well, I did used to like it when they would introduce the teams and, you know, every uniform would be there. That, right. I agree. That was kind of cool. I don't know. Just basketball to me, I, I, I we could probably go back and forth on this. Um, right now, I kind of like the rosters the way they are. And uh, it, it, it feels a little more special that Jaron made it because fewer, fewer players made it. But uh, very happy for him. And you know, it's funny. Everyone says everyone disrespects Memphis. Everyone hates Memphis. They got two reserves in the game and, um, you know, happy, happy for both those guys. I just want to throw in this one quick point, Matt. You talk about the legacy thing. I think uh, the NBA has came up with, like, you know, the legacy spots for the All-Star when they reached, like, past their prime. I know in 2019, oh, yeah. they had honorable All-Stars of, you know, Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade, and they really just played, like, two or five minutes out there, and everybody was getting their hoorahs and everything just to see those guys do it one last time. And, I, I, I mean, I appreciate that, but – when you have Paul George, who just averaging twenty points, like man, come on, man! Like you got you got Anthony Edwards. He's one of the most electric guys now in the league. He's been playing some phenomenal ball. I want to see some crazy dunks. Paul George ain't going to do no crazy dunks in a, in the All Star <laughs> game anymore. 
Like, he do that, he's going to be out for the next 15 games. He's already <laughs> hurt enough as it is. He probably does not need to play in the All-Star game, to be honest. It would, yeah, it would be awesome if he had load managed like the four games prior to All-Star break, but then played 10 minutes in the All-Star game for no reason at all. <laughs> I, I, I am with you. I agree. Anthony Edwards absolutely should be in over Paul George. He was just the best example of a legacy guy this year. But really what I'm talking about is like in three or four years from now, when we see a decline in LeBron and KD and Steph, well, I still want to see them in the All-Star game, even if they're not, if, even if they don't have the top 12 best stats, I still want to see them out there. Those are more the legacy spots I'm talking about. Um, and, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Anthony, Paul George has no business being there. He, he was a bad example. Well, do you guys like the, the draft? I used to like when it was the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference. Even though, like, the NBA is just trying to do things differently now because the All-Star game, within the past 20 years, it's just really uh, a casual pickup game, and they want it to be more competitive. Um, the draft, I think, it seems like it can be unique because it brings sort of like of a pickup game, and hopefully they they acquired those new rules that, like, basically the fourth quarter is when everybody plays hard. But I do miss sort of the old Eastern versus Western Conference thing. Like, I mean, that's very nostalgic. I even miss, like, them wearing their own jerseys. Like, I think <laughs> all-star yeah. jerseys now are just terrible and terrible each year. They stink. Like, They're so bad. And then, even so, even, I can even go ahead and say, like, with the, the rookies versus sophomores, I wanted to go back to that. I don't know what the heck they got now. Like, it's three separate teams. I understand, yeah, you got the G League, G Leaguers playing now in a, a rookie showcase game. But it, it's, it's a little – I don't know. It's becoming different now. And the NFL Pro Bowl is different. Uh, they, they're just really trying to make things, uh, testing out different things now. Well, one last note uh, for me on the All-Star stuff. If you look at what Joker's doing, I, I did, you know, he's at 24, 10, and 11. I think only one uh, forward ever has averaged uh, 20, 10, and 10, and it was Larry. Uh, and he's been pretty spectacular. I've gone on record saying I don't think he should win three straight MVPs because the Nuggets never really win anything in the playoffs. Watch, this will be the year they go through Memphis all the way to the finals, and there'll be egg all over my face because he he's just been – it's unbelievable how good he is. Uh, he'd be fun to play with too, right? Like, when you want – I mean, the, the, the other Nuggets players, that's why I understand Bones Highland. Like, just you're around, you know, a, a basketball genius. Learn from him, you know. I think he'd be an amazing teammate. Okay, heading to our last segment, our high take segment. It's a lot of good hits. It's a lot of controversial and topics in the NBA right now. So, Dave, you got any hot takes you got to get off your chest at the moment? We touched on a couple of these in the opening today, and it kind of made me think this these past couple of weeks when the team's been struggling that I feel like this is where the coaching in the NBA is important. When everything is going great, when 11 games in a row, you know, I could have probably coached the team during that time. When everything's going well, that's fine. But this is where you need a coach who can really uh, navigate these waters. We talked about this even before the season started. It's going to be a long regular season, and there's going to be some times where the team struggles and the expectations and the media glare is a lot brighter on this team than it used to be. And that's when Taylor Jenkins has to show a lot of maturity as a coach. And, 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 and I think – it's been a little bit up and down with him, especially recently. Xavier, you talk about the X and O stuff at the end of games. I'm a little concerned. I haven't really liked what I've seen from the coaching staff 
and even from the front office. And I think we went into this season feeling like, man, we got a great executive, a great coach, the best young star in the NBA, and the, 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 the future is so bright. And it still is, but I don't feel as strong about the front office and about the coaching because when times get tough, that's when they have to provide that stability to these younger kids. It's not really a hot take as much as it's like, this is where Taylor Jenkins has to earn that quote unquote coach of the year vote that everyone's like, why he's not getting, he should be coach of the year, coach of the year. Well, let's see it because we're losing games and everyone's like, well, we're still second in the West. How long do we get to say that? We're only two games up on the third spot. Guys, we're only four and a half games above the play in. So because the West is so bundled, this whole excuse, like, well, we're still in the second spot. You know, that's kind of like the deodorant on some things that aren't smelling so good right now. And, it, you know, we could be doing a show in a couple of weeks. Where we're talking now we're in the fourth spot. You know, things start to slide pretty quick. And my, my, my hope is that Jenkins is going to show now that he's that coach we think he is, X's and O's wise, but also kind of corralling that locker room a little bit and bringing some much needed direction and maturity from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, I mean, we got a team full of young guys, and they've been very vocal. They put this target on their backs. Um, it's a lot of news coming out, and you got to be able, although you're the coach, you need to be able to mentor these guys and lead them in the correct direction. And Taylor Jenkins is going to have to step up, and the coaching staff. I mean, it's a reason why there's additional four to five assistant coaches. And as well with the, uh, the front office, you got Tayshaun Prince, as a scout, he's a person that won a championship in 2004 with the Pistons team. And they were, a lot of people sleep on that little bad boys part two team. And they was one of those teams that run their mouth a little bit. And they had to talk to talk and they backed it up because they won a championship. They were underdogs at 2014 going against the Lakers. So they have to come down and, and, and talk to these guys like, hey, I understand, yes, we can bring that bad integrity, I mean, that bad boy integrity into our culture. But at the same time, it's a way that we go about this. It's the way that we need to treat others and be men, and we got to continue to grow. But that is a pretty interesting hot take, though. I know it wasn't necessarily like a true, true hot take, but I do understand that. What, <laughs> what do you got, Matt? Yeah, kind of going off what Dave said, you know, a lot's been made this season that the West is wide open. And I think once we get to all-star break, we're going to have a much more clear picture. The only thing that we've been certain of so far is Denver's been the best team uh, going so far. And I think once we get to all-star break, we're going to have one through 10 in the West is going to be what's going to be in the playoffs, I think. And it's going to hold maybe some got some teams go up and down. Uh, but I think that we're going to have a much clearer picture of the West coming out of all-star break. You look at the 10 spot right now, I think Utah is going to continue to fall. Portland's going to get in there. They obviously are, are, are a team that's kind of at a crossroads. You're having a great Dame Lillard season, but if they don't make a move at the trade deadline, they're probably not winning the championship. But that really puts one through 10 in the West are all the teams that you want to see in the playoffs. And another team that people have not really been paying attention to and have snuck up on all of us really without really paying attention to it. Phoenix has been on a little bit of a roll, guys. They're uh, eight and two in their last 10. Devin Booker listed as probable tonight. He has not played since Christmas. Chris Paul has really turned his game around where early in the season he looked like a complete shell of himself, and I think they're a real dangerous team. If they show up to the playoffs healthy, they are going to win at least one series. I guarantee you that. 
that's a dangerous team no matter what it comes down to. And when you look at the playoff resumes and when you think back to last season, I still fear that team when they are healthy. Devin Booker looked like an MVP candidate at the beginning of this year before he got hurt as well. So that's a team that's very dangerous. And kind of uh, conversely on that, Steph going down with another injury, is it was very concerning for Golden State. And if they continue to slide down um, the standings and they're a play-in team come playoff time, depending on how long Steph is out and if he's able, able to come back when and, and if at all, uh, that's a team you don't want to see in the playoffs either. So I think that top to bottom, this is a really good Western Conference this season, especially now that we've seen some guys come over from the East, i.e. Uh, Kyrie Irving to Dallas. I mean, there, there's just a lot of great talent in the West. Memphis has continued to slide over this nine-game streak, and I think that that is a more clear indication of where they are as a team than the you know the 11-game winning streak or whatever was. I think they're closer to this team. I think they're somewhere in the middle, but they're closer to this team that's been struggling the last little bit. And it's not going to be a walkthrough to see Denver in the Western Conference Finals. It's going to be a lot more complicated than that. We're going to have a, a better image and a clearer image of who's going to be in our way in the Western Conference after the All-Star break. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Um, after the All-Star break, teams are going to make those stretches. Uh, you have the trades that trades the trade deadline has passed, so a lot of teams will have gotten better with additional pieces. And guys are going to be able to buckle down and like, hey, let's make this run. Teams are going to know who who is capable of making this big push and big run. And like you said, if the Warriors make their play in and they're a number seven or eight seed, Memphis or Denver does not want to see no see no Golden State in the first round. Like it is going to be a battle each each night in the playoffs, regardless what seeding that you're in. But my hot take, it sort of is going to tie into the Grizzlies in a few. But I want to talk about, like, these young players blowing completely off. You talked about it earlier, Dave. Cam Thomas, Jaden Hardy. Cam Thomas, boy, I've been on the Cam Thomas way since his Oak Hill days. That boy was averaging 20 points a game in his LSU days. I've been big on Cam Thomas. I did not understand why Steve Nash was not playing him. He he is a bucket getter. I understand, yes, he's still young, and he's not too big of a defensive guy. But they they were struggling offensively at at a good amount of times, and you have somebody who's capable of coming off the bench and scoring a quick 25 points efficiently in under, like, 20 minutes. That's ridiculous. And – Last night, Jaden Hardy, he's like an inferno, a microwave, because he yep. can score 15 points in under 10 minutes. He finished with 29 points. And it's ridiculous. Like, these guys are 21 and younger, and they come immediately into the league dropping a significant amount of buckets. And I feel like this raised the ceiling on our expectations for so many younger players coming into the league now expecting them to be that impact player right away. And I look at Zaire Williams. I don't know if you guys read the reports, but Zaire, they assigned him to the G League with the hustle. And a lot of people feel like that's a demotion. A lot of people don't understand that the G League is such a great, it's it's a luxury to really have for the NBA because it gives those players that that needs that extra time to develop uh, their confidence boost. Jaden Hardy has been playing in the G League this whole entire season until prior, probably December. He's been the lead, the G League leading scorer. It's a reason why he's capable of scoring 20 points off the bench immediately because he's been he's built that confidence in the G League. You got guys like Josh Christopher 
on the Rockets, he's in the G League because first of all, the the, the Rockets just have too much young talent. But is it is as well though, like he needs to mature and the G League can help help those guys like understand, like, okay, if I'm constantly causing problems in the in the major leagues in the NBA. I'm, I'm, I need to get my head together. I can go to the G League. I can play some buckets, and I can prove to the coach, like, yes, I've, I've developed. I'm ready. And so I feel like a lot of people feel like that this Zaire, Zaire going to the hustle is going to be a demotion. I feel like this is going to help him improve his confidence because it's not the same Zaire from last year. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, I understand he's going through injuries. There's a different rotations. And, I mean, a lot of the guys that he used to run with, of Melton and Cal is gone. So I understand that, but I just, I still got faith in, in Zaire and I know he's going to, uh, I still feel like he has a lot of upside to him. You mentioned a couple of interesting guys though. Jaden Hardy, I, going into the draft last year, I really wanted Memphis to snag him at the end of the first round. Cause he, if you remember guys before that draft, like in the middle of the year, he had a pretty, uh, high profile and it just kept sliding and sliding and sliding but a lot of people loved his pure talent and I remember thinking he's exactly the kind of guy that we need off the bench some guy is a little bit of a loose cannon just like you know but it has a ton of offensive talent I mean goodness he went 37th what I thought that was a steal for the Mavericks once they once they got him from Sacramento but the other guy you mentioned Cam Thomas when I saw him play in the summer league that year that, that I, I thought he was the best player I saw in the summer league that year. Maybe not like stats wise during that summer league, but I was like, Dick, that he's going to score. He, he, he just knows how to score the basketball. And I think this trade of Kyrie is going to even free him up even more. I think he's going to be a nice piece for the Nets for a long time. I'm glad you mentioned him. Oh, yeah, man. I, I love me some bucket getters, especially young. They come out the womb getting buckets now, nowadays. Good thing I didn't make the league, man. I know these older players, they they gonna have some hard times keeping up with these young bucket getters nowadays because it, it's ridiculous. Cal Thomas dropped 47 last night against two of the best wing perimeter defenders of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. But that's all for our show today. I appreciate you guys tuning in. All right, you guys. Matt, go ahead and tune the people in for your socials. Yeah, check me out at Matt H. Gill on Twitter. Check out the show's page as well at the Core 4 Podcast and check out at SBN Grizzlies for all that written content as well. All right, Dave, where can the people find you on your socials? You can find me at Twitter at DLB19338. And a couple quick notes here. Uh, next week, we're scheduled to have Joe Mullinex on the show. Uh, we're going to have an interview with him on Monday, talk about all the things that happened at the trade deadline. It'd be kind of fun for us to, to have a, a special guest, if you will. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, once we ran the Grizzly Bear Blues site. So he and I don't agree on much on Twitter, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of go back and forth, and, and he can educate me. I'm looking forward to that. One other note, guys, the game tonight against the Bulls, we're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I thought that was a lot of points, regardless of who plays. You know, for a team that's lost eight and nine, nine-and-a-half-point uh, favorites tonight, hopefully uh, – Hopefully win the game and, and, and turn this around. But uh, good being with you. Yeah, the Bulls played last night, so it's a back-to-back to them. So they might have that fatigue in them. But, yeah, uh, you can find me on socials at Twitter at Zaytime Takes. And then, as well, you want to find some more, a little bit more basketball analysis, you can find me at underscore XZAY on my TikTok page. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.